0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Bowtech Archery prides themselves on offering a bow for everyone. Whether you have a short draw length, a long draw length, pull 70 pounds or 40 pounds, you're a bow hunter or a target archer, they offer a bow that can be customized to fit your body type. On top of that, their deadlock technology allows you to fine-tune your aeroflight. Visit bowtecharchery.com and check out the sr 350 and the CP-28. Bowtech Archery, refuse to follow. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com.
1: All right, guys. Welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is my buddy Tucker Johnson. Now, Tucker is from Idaho. He was actually born and raised in Oregon, but he moved to Idaho. He is an avid big game hunter, backcountry hunter, loves to ride side-by-sides, UTVs, things like that. Um, But he works for Everly Stock. And if you guys don't know, they make amazing backpacks and apparel and shooting supplies and rifle scabbards and just insane amounts of accessories. In fact, I'm going to be ordering a new one for this fall, and I'm really looking forward to trying it out. And so uh, Tucker and I are going to be talking all about hunting out west. I want to hear a little bit about kind of where he grew up and how hunting changed for him because, I mean, he's always been out west, and actually for him – doing the traditional Western big game hunting actually pulled him more East because he was in Oregon and now he's in Idaho and the terrain is just so much different. And when we think about Western big game hunting, we're thinking about big mountain mule deer and elk mountain goat, moose, big horn, things like that. And he was hunting blacktail deer and elk still, but in a totally different terrain, not the terrain you're thinking when you think of Western hunting. And so I'm going to talk to him all about that. I'm looking forward to it, and you guys will get to hear how we met, which was pretty epic, to say the least. So let's jump into this episode with Tucker.
2: Like, he was doing things that were just badass.
1: That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show and joining me on the show is I feel like a longtime friend now, even though it's only been a couple months since we first met, but Tucker is joining me and he's from Idaho. We got hooked up on a helicopter hog hunt in Texas. And after that, I mean, you know, when you get in a group of people and you can just tell who is like a stone cold killer in the outdoor world. <laughs> when we met, I was like, yep, this is one of those guys. We're going to get along great. So, Tucker, thanks for hopping on, man.
2: Absolutely, man. Pleasure to be here.
1: So why don't you share with the listeners maybe a little bit about yourself? What do you do um, for a living? What what kind of outdoor activities are you involved in?
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So my name's Tucker. Um, I was in the Marine Corps for, for quite a few years. And, uh, when I got out, went to college and, uh, ended up going to work for a company called Everly stock. Um, and we make outdoor equipment for, for hunters in the tactical community. Um, and I shoot a lot of PRS NRL matches, uh, when I can, when I have time, and then obviously tons of elk and deer hunting here in the state of Idaho. I don't venture too far from the state of Idaho just because I uh, have kids and a wife and I'm busy. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, the outdoors, we do it all side-by-side stuff, hunting all of it.
1: Yeah. How did, how'd you get into hunting and in the outdoor space? Is that something you grew up doing as a kid? Yes,
2: absolutely. I grew so I grew up in Southern Oregon, um, in a town called Klamath Falls and a little tiny town outside of Klamath called Keno, Oregon, probably population 900 people. Um, my dad was from Southern California and he moved to Oregon in the, I want to say the early seventies. Um, and just always had a passion for, for hunting, whether it was with a bow or a rifle. So, um, I grew up hunting blacktail, mule deer and Roosevelt elk, um, which is, if you haven't hunted rosies, you owe it to yourself to go hunt rosies. It's, they're just another monster. And, uh, the first time you see a Rosie laying on the ground, you're going to think, shit, I shot a cow. They're huge. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I grew up doing that. Um, and Oregon was an awesome place to grow up. Um, it, it's, it's changed quite a bit, obviously in the past few years compared to what it was when I grew up. Um, but the blacktail hunting was amazing. Um, and I remember during the rut, we lived pretty far out of town, um, out in the sticks and in the rut, you could, you'd see these black deer walking down behind this creek we had behind our house and you could just walk out there and slap them in the ass. They were so stupid. And, uh, that's how I grew up. It was, it was just an absolute blast. Um, my dad was a diehard recurve hunter. So he was, he was a pretty traditional guy, killed a lot of blacktail. Um, I wish I had pictures of it to, to, to prove it to everybody, but we had rafters full of blacktail antlers. Um, and then we're all killed with a recurve. Um, Jeez. As far as my dad was con- concerned, like if you couldn't do it with a bow, why would you do it? Um, I, I took a different route in my hunting.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say long range shooting. That's a little yeah, bit yeah, different. Yeah.
2: Well, it was funny, is like my dad bow hunted really hard when I was little, and I was never old enough you know, because I wasn't strong enough to pull a bow back and kill anything with it. So I rifle hunted. Um, well, my dad got hurt really bad when he was working as a police officer. And, uh, so he kind of got out of bow hunting and went back to rifle. hunting. Well, I kind of followed him in that path, you know, because, you know, we didn't have a lot of money and it was pretty expensive, you know, to get, go set a kid up with a bow every year when, he, when he's growing so much. Um, but I, I grew up in that lifestyle. Um, and it was, it was different when I, when I grew up, it was, um, you weren't killing to kill something for what it scored. You know, you didn't care about that. You're trying to put food on the table because thing, it, money was tight, you know, yeah. and if you could supplement your income with, uh, with a couple extra deer and an elk a year, that means something, you know, oh, um, absolutely. it was, it became a way of life. And, uh, granted I've kind of moved away from that because I definitely live in downtown Boise. I'm seven minutes from the Capitol building. So I'm about as urban as you get these days. <laughs> Um, but I still love to hunt and, um, you know, you can hunt elk 20 minutes outside of Boise, which is a pretty amazing thing to do. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was a it was a neat experience growing up in Southern Oregon. And during that time, at least I wish that my wife tells me all the time that I was born a hundred years too late. And that, that is the truth. I was definitely born a hundred years too late,
1: man. I feel that way all the time. And then I think about all of the other crap that you have to deal with. If you go back a hundred years even just oh, like diseases and real basic stuff that we take for granted. Like me, I wear contacts. What happens if your glasses break back then? You know, like how long of a wait is it really before you can see again? That's the oh. type of stuff I'd be like, yeah, I don't know about it.
2: You know, speaking of like my dad wears glasses and he's worn glasses since he was a kid. And I remember like, you know, packing up to go elk hunting and like, my mom out there harassing my dad telling him, you know, Hey, are you, did you bring your extra two pairs of glasses? Yeah. And mom was an optician, right? She made glasses for a living. Um, and it, it's it's funny. You bring it up. It's like, yeah, that, that was a real thing. You had to worry about bringing extra pairs of glasses just to go hunting.
1: <laughs> yeah. For real that, I mean, little things like that. I is why I'm glad that I wasn't born back then, but just the adventure of it, I feel like would be amazing.
2: You know, um, I, I I feel like that when you go to where I grew up, you step back in time, you know, because most of the folks that live down there are um, from the logging community or from the Native American community, um, because we had we had lots of Native Americans down there, and, and loggers were a big part of my life. You know, I learned how to drive on an 18 speed Eaton transmission in the mountains of Southern Oregon, <laughs> um, and it it's just a different way of life, you know, and they still live that way to to, to an extent, obviously. I think that uh, technology has definitely found Kino, Oregon. Um, but growing up, like, you know, I remember riding my, my grandmother lived with us when I was a kid and uh, she was pretty old when she lived with us, she was in her eighties. And I remember her giving me enough money to ride six miles down to the little Kino store, buy her an 18 pack of bud and a carton of Marlboro, 100s non-filtered and enough money to buy some penny candy and then ride that back to the house and that woman smoked two and a half packs of cigarettes a day and drank an 18 pack of a day till the day she died And she died at like 87 so she is the toughest woman i ever met
1: that's Um, funny man
2: but yeah it was just a different way of life and and i'm not that old i'm 33 years old but so it doesn't seem like it's that long ago that it was still I don't know, kind of backwoods, I guess. And I'm sure there's places in America are still the same way.
1: Well, yeah, I feel like I look at it towards the future and just think of the stories that we're going to tell our kids' kids. And they're going to be like, you did what? Are you kidding me? You know, like there's just weird things that even for me as a kid, like, dude, we used to ride our bikes everywhere, everywhere we went. It was, you know, you ride it into town, same deal. You go get the penny candy, you get a, Uh, a blow pop or tootsie rolls or whatever you can find at the local store and i look at it now and i hear of kids that are eight nine ten years old and they don't ride bikes like they've never really ridden bikes and i'm like what do they do just all they do is play video games i remember getting a super nintendo it was the coolest thing ever but also i wasn't giving up my bb gun I was still going to kill everything that moved. I was still going to ride my bike through the woods with my buddies. So,
2: oh, no, absolutely. You know, and I, when I, I had, uh, so when I met my wife, my wife had, um, had a son from a previous relationship. And, uh, Donovan was 10 when we met. And, you know, obviously he's not my son. So I don't have a whole lot of say in how he's raised. Um, you know, and he had video games and all this and all that shit. And I remember when Mary Kate and I had, um, our first son, Duke, um, I told myself, I'm like, there will never be a video game console in my house ever. Like, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I will. And I, have stuck to my guns and I, I, he's six now and I, I will not allow it. Like you would, there will be no video game console in this house as long as I live here. Um, and you know, I've had people say, well, what if he gets behind the times and, you know, he doesn't understand how to use these electronics. So be it. Yeah. Um, He'll know how to hunt. He'll know how to fish. And he'll know how to fend for himself a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I don't I, know of anybody.
2: The computer, at least in the way I think.
1: Yeah, I don't know of anybody who's like, man, if only I had played more video games as a kid, I'd be in a better position in life. And I'm the same way. My wife actually looked at me. I used to play video games, you know, like growing up, back when like the Sega and then PlayStation and... Xbox like I grew up when all that stuff was coming out you know I'm only a year older than you are and it's it was fun don't get me wrong but one day it wasn't that long ago she looked at me and she's like can I just tell you I am so glad you don't play video games and I was like wait what right I'm like where did that come from she's like I hear about people whose husbands like they get home from work and they just jump right into their video games, and they'll play for hours every night. And I'm like, "Yeah, I guess that's kind of weird. I've never really thought about it as a grown man with kids, but oh, there's yeah. a lot of people who do it. The
2: uh, I've, I've you know, obviously I have friends, but uh, I've gone over to a few friends' houses. Obviously, they're different than I am, and we go over for dinner, and their husbands are playing video games. And I'm like, really? Like, this is a thing you play video games when you have company it's kind of weird yeah. you know to me you know i'm like granted i i automatically think like beta male bitch i mean i apologize for the french but like that's what i think to myself um and that's probably not the case with with most with most people but uh i'm like we're, we're playing video games right now why, why would we do that let's let's uh, have a conversation about literally anything I'm down for it. Um it's shocking to me that people are like that. It really is.
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny because I look at I look at me. I I love movies. I love like watching movies. If if I'm going to just chill out and like not do anything and just do something completely mindless where I don't have to think, I'll watch a movie. But I look at my friend group and I would I would say that out of my probably six or seven closest friends only one or two of them and I have ever watched a movie together. Like, it's just not what we do. Not what we do for fun. Like we yeah. don't, we don't Agreed. just go to the movies. We don't rent movies. If we get together, which we do every Thursday night, we get together, sit around a fire. We work on a vehicle. We take the boat out. We have a couple drinks, have a smoke and just chill and hang out as dudes. And so
2: yeah, absolutely, that, that's, that's just
1: what we do and i mean most of them are hunters as well
2: oh yeah no no i think that's important like uh um i try to involve my kids and and, and at least try to involve them as much as i can in everything i do right obviously there's things at their age they're six and two that they can't do um but like i we always have you know like friday night fires um at our place basically when hunting season kind of rolls around and i always put it out to everybody at work like hey It's Friday night. We're having a fire tonight. Bring your own booze. Let's sit down, have a good time, have a conversation. And I involve my kids in that. And they sit out there with me till 2 in the morning while I drink beer or I drink proper 12, which I think I'm currently drinking right now. Um, And that's fine. You know, like they should. I feel like. So I have two boys. I have three boys, but I have two of my own. Um, And I think that boys should be around men. Oh, for sure. You know, um, and I have uh, Greg, our marketing director, which you, you guys see on, or you would see on all of our videos. Um, he comes over every once in a while. And I, I love having Greg over because he's just a manly dude, you know, and uh, he doesn't have kids. He's not married. And, you know, he's just kind of terrified of kids. But it's funny to watch him interact with kids because he's not talking to them like they're kids. He's talking to them like he's talking to me. And I yeah. think it is hilarious you know, to watch <laughs> what are do you doing, your little shit? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that's good for, for kids to, to, to see how men interact with each other. Um, yeah. and it's same thing, like working on a car, having a drink, playing, a, you know, playing poker, anything like that. Right. Yep. Uh, is important, especially when they're little, because I think that you kind of steer them in the right path, <laughs> unknowingly steer them in the right path.
1: Yep. No, I, I completely agree with that. Um, And it's cool. Like I look back and and some of my best memories were with a male role model like that. And I'm sure it's like that for you, you know, going out and learning how to hunt from your dad. That was me. I mean, I would go and sit with my dad, sit with my uncle, sit with my male cousins in the woods before I could even hunt. And then once I was old enough to, you know, I was out on my own doing exactly what they taught me in those hours of sitting on a tree stump or a bucket in the woods waiting for whitetail to come through.
2: Absolutely. No, that is. Um, and it, growing up, um, my dad was, he was there, but he was not there because he was, he was a, he was a police officer. He was a sheriff's officer. Um, so he was, he was a busy man. Um, and so when he was there, the one thing I could, I always, I take a lot of pride in is my dad. Like he wasn't around a lot because he was working but when he was around it was go as hard as you can like we're gonna play as hard as we can we're you know like hey i've got you know 18 hours off we're going fishing and you're yep. fishing for 18 of those hours you know like he just goes as hard as he possibly could and i look at myself now and i'm like shit, i don't know if i could go that hard <laughs> you know and so and i have two boys instead of just one i'm an only child um and so like when i get a hold of duke and hank my youngest who's two um, when we get in the side by side, we're going to go somewhere. It's like, we're going to go as hard as we possibly can. I'm going to be dead in like 20 minutes. We're <laughs> going to go as hard as we can for 20 minutes.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's my awesome. dad, my dad, he was gone quite a bit too. He drove truck over the road. And so when he got back, I, I feel like that also contributed a lot to me just wanting to be athletic, be good at hunting and shooting and you know I every time he would come home I'm like dad look how far I can throw this ball or look at how good I am at shooting my bb gun or look at all these birds I killed and my mom would hate that because you know I I shot him off her bird feeders but he would he's just like loving every minute of it when he came back um but it's it's very interesting to see the dynamic shift in the amount of people who are okay with not raising kids like in a manly way or being that role model for them
2: you know yeah you know and um my wife is always always supported teaching them how to do the most monotonous like something i take for granted right like changing the oil in my truck right yeah Yeah, for granted i really do um but my my oldest son donovan you know before he so my oldest son moved to, to southern california his grandparents are are getting up there in age and they need some help and he decided, screw it. When I graduate, I'm going to go down and live with my grandparents and take care of it. I'm like, that's, that's admirable. It really is. Um, and so he did that. And before he left, you know, um, I taught him how to shoot. I taught him how to drive. I told him, taught him how to take care of his own vehicle, taught him how to change a tire. I mean, simple things like that really separate people in this world. I've come to realize, um, because if he decided to call me right now and, say, Dad, hey, I'm driving from Southern California to Idaho to visit you guys. I wouldn't worry about him one bit. Yep. Because if something happened, he could handle it, you know? Um, and and that, that I take a lot of pride in that. Like, that's a good thing. You know, oh, you should absolutely. teach your kids how. Even if it seems so stupid, like changing the oil, you know, like um, my it's funny. So when I had my boys, Duke is all about mom. Like, that kid loves his mother more than anything in this world, um, including dad. Okay. Um, and it was kind of, kind of shitty, you know, I'm like, shit, well shit doesn't even love me, you know, like he doesn't (laughs) want to spend any time with dad. It's all about mom right now. But my youngest, my two-year-old Hank, he is all about dad. And I laid underneath my side by side for like two hours one night. Um, it was a brand new side by side. I had no idea how to work on it. You know, it was YouTube and white claws is how I fix shit. Um, (laughs) And uh, I'm changing the oil and, and changing the transmission fluid and, and working on a few things. And he's two years old and he laid underneath that side by side in 100 degree heat with me the entire time.
1: That's awesome.
2: Uh, I, I were getting up. I kind of took it for granted. And I'm like, that is awesome. That's that's amazing. Like he's two, but he learned something. Yeah. And then I think that more dads need to take a step back and realize like it may seem so minute a little tiny thing that you're doing that seems so routine but you you just taught your two-year-old how to change the oil on in a, in a in a side by side
1: <laughs> yeah no my kids it's cool it's cool to see them already like without me having to tell them like hey hunting is cool hunting is fun just them seeing me doing these activities or seeing me get all dressed up in camo and throw my duck calls on or grab my bow like every time my kids get in my truck they want to blow on my predator calls. I've got a lanyard full of all my, all my rabbit squeals and rodent squeaks, and they always want to blow on them. When I've got duck calls, they want to do it. When I take them for bike rides, cause I'll, I'll ride around and they'll like surf sideways on the crossbar that connects the seat to the handlebars and okay. they'll, like surf sideways and hold on inside of my hands on the, on the bike. And, we'll ride around through the woods and they'll be like, dad, dad, a turkey. You got to shoot it. You got to shoot it. And I'm like, well, it's not quite how it works, but they're so pumped up about it already.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like uh, I I know Duke, uh, for example, uh, you know, I disappeared to go elk hunting for a week and I don't think he equated, I think he thought that four legged animals were fair game. It really didn't matter what four legged animal, as long as they had four (laughs) legged. Um, and I'm going elk hunting and I would message my wife on my, uh, um, GPS. And then she'd be like, Duke says that daddy's hunting goats. I'm like, first of all, I haven't drawn that tag yet because (laughs) I'm not that lucky.
1: Thanks for rubbing it Uh, in dude.
2: Second of all, that is awesome. And maybe I will draw that tag one day, but it was always like every time it didn't matter what I was hunting, whether, you know, ducks, geese, turkeys, elk, deer, daddy's hunting goats. (laughs) um i always got a kick out of that
1: that's so great man speaking of drawing tags did you draw anything this year or did you put in for anything or did you just buy over the counter
2: okay so uh in idaho um no i did not draw anything that was special um but in idaho we have some tags that are kind of sought after and they're a first come first serve tag so they'll release like 700 tags online and they'll release like 700 tags um, in person at, at stores across Idaho, um, and one of them is the the Sawtooth Sawtooth B tag, which is the rifle tag, and then the Sawtooth A tag is the archery tag. And I think they released fourteen hundred of each. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's a pretty pretty good guess. Um, so I ended up snagging a Sawtooth B tag, which is uh, probably about an hour outside of Boise, up in the the Sawtooth Mountains, which are are steep, very steep. Um, for rifle season. Um, and then, then I think that most of the guys that bow hunt at work got the uh, sawtooth a tag for archery season. Um, so we're, we're pretty stoked about that tag. Um, I apologize right now. Amazon is pulling up my house and they, they may interrupt this.
1: Hey, uh, that's all right. We'll do an unboxing video on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, it was probably my wife's stuff. It's probably not even hunting related. It's probably oh, dog. Yeah. Food. Forget it. Um, but I got that sawtooth bee tag. I'm really stoked about it. Um, I haven't got to hunt that unit in quite a long time. Um, a buddy of mine, um, that I hunt with every year, his name's Elliot. Um, he got the same tag, so we'll do it together. Um, and it is, it is a really miserable unit to hunt. It's, it's three units compiled into one. So in Idaho we have, so the deer tag's really funny. So you can buy like a general season deer tag or you can buy a general season whitetail tag. The general season deer tag will allow you to hunt whitetail in certain units or mule deer in certain units. Um, and then the general season whitetail tag is whitetail. Only. Um, and then there's obviously units units are closed and open during the hunting season. And whether it's archery or rifle or muzzleloader or whatever um, it, Idaho is really confusing. That's what I've come to realize. It's, Oregon is way more simple in this, in this fact. Um, Anyways, um, but the cool thing about is our general season deer tag overlaps our elk tag and that entire unit that we're hunting for elk is open for general season deer. And there is a monster, um, mule deer up there. So it's kind of cool to be able to hunt for both of them at the same time.
1: Yeah. Do they, do they run the non-resident or out of state tags the same as they do? Like the tags you're talking about where they offer some in store, some online, or is it a different they, process? They,
2: I want to say that the the out of state is all online. Don't quote me, um, but I want to say out of state's basically all online, and there's there's fewer tags available for out of state hunters for those first come first serve tags. Okay. And the and the Sawtooth unit is not the only unit that does first come first serve. There's a lot of other units that do it as well. Um, as a general rule, if you're on top of it. And because they'll, they'll basically say like, I can't remember what it was. It was like June 18th at one in the afternoon is when we're releasing the tags. So you're sitting there at one ready to log in. As soon as one hits, you log in, grab your tag, pay for it. And you're done. Um, most of the time you can get in there and get a tag if you're really on top of it. But if, if you wait five minutes, they're gone. Yeah. There's, how, this year is the first year in several years that we have leftover tags for out-of-state residents. Or So what happens is if we have leftover tags, um, because there's a certain quota that we have for tags for out-of-state hunters, and if not all of them are bought, then they are reissued and um, in, residents can buy them. Oh, um, so like the year I grabbed a, uh, a spare deer tag. So I've got two deer tags, two general season deer tags. Um, which will be awesome. I get down deer for till I get to hunt deer until December, I believe. Nice. I can't remember what day. Yeah, yeah. So um, and there's a lot of cool units that are archery only, extreme late season. Um, it'd be a blast. It'll be an absolute blast. Um, the one thing I can tell you if you are interested in hunting Idaho and you're unsure of how our tags work, um I don't know if you guys have, or if you've ever heard of Eastman's hunting journal. Yeah. So they developed what's called tag hub. Okay. And that is a great resource. If you're an out of state hunter trying to figure out what units to put in for or what units are first come first serve or what units are, you know, over the counter tags for non-residents. So I would encourage anybody to go to or to use Eastman's tag hub, tag hub for that.
1: Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I've been I've been thinking about branching out to different states. Like I really do want to start hunting other states out west. I've done Colorado and Utah so far. I think that's it. Well, I've tagged along on a hunt in in Wyoming before, but I didn't have a tag myself. And so um, I definitely want to start exploring other places. And Idaho is freaking crazy beautiful. Watching people's videos up there where they're going after elk or even wolves. Like the fact that you guys actually have a wolf season there is pretty amazing. And that is very high on my bucket list. Um, but yeah, I want to come check that out.
2: I, uh, so wolf hunting in Idaho, I don't think it's year round. It's damn near year round. Um, last time I checked, you can buy eight tags.
1: Holy cow.
2: Um, again, don't quote me on any of this, please go read your regs.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, tucker said on the podcast
2: yeah right yeah we need to put that disclaimer in there um read your regs i am not a fish and game guy yeah um but uh yeah uh, last time i checked it was eight tags and then we have i cannot remember the name of the organization um i apologize for that but we do have an organization that if you're a member of that organization and you kill a wolf and you turn it in and do all the proper things they require you to do they will pay you money for killing that thing up to like twelve hundred dollars dang yeah so um i'm a member i cannot remember what it is basically what happens so my buddy that i hunt with he is the tag guru. i just basically show up at this point yeah um because you know he's single has all the time in the world and i don't um so Elliot is a guru of of tags in Idaho and he grew up here. That helps. Um, but he signed us up for both for, for this organization. I can't remember what it's called. And it's basically kill a wolf, turn it in, get money. And you can't beat that.
1: See, if I killed one, just because I don't have access to wolf hunting all the time. If I killed one, I'd have a hard time turning it in. I want a freaking awesome rug or I want like a headdress deal. When I say turn
2: it in. Basically it's you're running it down to fish and game. They're taking some samples off of it and you're calling this organization, I cannot remember the name of it. I want to say it's I like Idaho Conference Conservation Group. Um and you're basically just proving to them that you killed a wolf.
1: You get to keep it. Oh. It's yours. Oh yeah, I'm all about that then.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, take twelve hundred and, and the cool thing is is they adjust how much money you get per wolf according to the hunting unit you're in. So if you're in a unit that is really, really hammered by wolves, like on our elk, like, so the elk population in unit 39, which is right outside of Boise, I believe was decimated by almost 30% because of wolves. Um, that, that is a huge unit. And there's a ton of animals. in it. Um, it's a general season unit. You can buy general season deer and elk tags for that unit. Um, It's tough hunting because there's a lot of Idaho residents that go there, but it's a great unit. There's tons of game, Um, but that, that elk herd took a massive hit because of wolves. And because if, so if you kill a wolf in that unit, you'll get more money for that wolf.
1: Dang. Oh, you
2: gotta, you gotta really pay attention to what units you're hunting in and how much you get for those wolves, but they, they'll pay out. I think the minimum payout I've seen is $200, which is still like, I'll take $200 for killing a wolf.
1: Dude, I would pay two hundred dollars to come kill a wolf. So,
2: right, I know. Um, I'll have to. I'll send you a photo. Um, at some point, but uh, I've got a photo, from over in La Grande, Oregon. So Lagrand, Oregon's about two hours, um, west of Boise, um, and I have a good friend of mine that that owns Pendleton Ammunition, and he runs Steve's Outdoor Adventures on oh, TV. yeah, yeah. So Steve is a really good personal friend of mine. Um, and he has a massive amount of property in Eastern Oregon and he has a ton of elk on it and they have a wolf on there called the BFG. And I'm sure you can figure out what that stands for. (laughs) Um, anyways, I've got a photo of his footprint with my hand next to it and I've got pretty, pretty big paws and his footprint is bigger than my hand.
1: Holy cow.
2: Just massive wolf. I'll send you the photo. Uh, Honestly, I think I would post it just to show your listeners like how yeah. big these.
1: Are. Yeah, because you're not a small dude at all. Like when I met you, I was yeah. like, dude, he's a big. I mean, you look like a freaking man. Uh, you're you're a big dude, bearded. Like you look like you can hold your own.
2: Yeah, my beard's a little shorter since the last time we met. Yeah, we definitely is. lopped some of. Um, yeah, God, I think when we went down to Texas, that was definitely at, like the height of like manly growth. Like serious beard, you know. I, I, and I remember going down there, like that was a wild ride going down there. Like, I got, I, I had a, a guy come into my store, said, Hey, we're looking for a vet to go on this, this hog hunt. And I'm like, All right, well, let me talk to my wife. I'm missing my son's birthday. You know, I would totally do this, but I got to talk to the wife, you know, talk to the boss. And my, I called my wife and I told her what it was about. And she's like, If you don't do this, I'm going to be mad. And I'm like, All right, I'm doing it. And then I get down there and, you know, the, the group of people I went with that was running that TV show, um, DNA Outdoors or whatever it was, g- great people. Um, and then meeting you and then with all the helicopter guys, like I was down there for what, four days? I don't think I slept in four days because all we did was kill hogs 24 <laughs> hours a day. Yeah. Like it was insane. A lot of it was a blast. Dude, yeah, that's- i I guys in in louisiana and me and you i think need to hook up and just go kill hogs again
1: guys i can't believe it but we are one month away from season openers all across the country and if you're like me you're finalizing your gear list getting last minute preparations set in place and a few things that you cannot forget are a good rangefinder and a good set of binoculars or best of both worlds the two combined into one Vortex offers their line of Fury binoculars with range-finding capabilities and applied ballistics built right in. I'll have mine around my neck from the mountains of Utah to the Northwoods of Wisconsin in every trip in between. So if you're ready to get serious about your last-minute prep to increase your odds this fall, check out what's new from Vortex at vortexoptics.com and head to your favorite Vortex dealer to make sure you're ready for everything fall can throw at you. Oh, it was it was so much fun. And I I've got videos, but the videos don't do it justice. Like when we're creeping through the field at night with suppressed thermal ARs and uh, suppressed 22 caliber Glocks like that, it you just don't understand until you're in the moment and you're walking up to hogs and then they run straight at you as you open fire on them
2: how cool was the hog call
1: yeah dude the fox pro oh my gosh dude
2: like that was the highlight of that whole trip was watching them call hogs in that was awesome it was like hunting coyotes to me
1: yeah exactly except these ones you can see because i mean i had never i had done a little bit of like night vision and thermal hunting uh for coyotes before with zero success But when we went out and did that, I was completely hooked. I came back. I was like, hey, babe, just a heads up. I'm going to be buying a thermal soon Uh, because Missouri actually recently offered or opened up a short amount of time throughout the year that you can actually use thermal and night vision for coyote hunting.
2: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, I wish they would do it all year long. Maybe not during deer season because I know how that would go, but the rest of the year.
2: I think, uh, I think in the state of Idaho, it is basically open year round. Um, we have, you have to get a night hunting permit. I okay. do know that. Um, I don't think you have to take class. We do have, like, if you want to be a trapper, you got you to take a trapping class. And I, I think there's some other classes you got to take. They're just really weird, obscure classes you have to take. Um, but it's pretty much open year round and it is getting more and more popular. Um, in fact, I did witness, um, so in the state of Idaho, we have depredation tags. I'm assuming Missouri probably has the same thing. Um, so the way depredation works in the state of Idaho is you basically call in and get on a list. And when your name's up, they call you and say, Hey, meet this farmer at such and such a place at such and such a time. And you're going to go kill this,
0: you know, and whatever that
2: is, deer, elk, whatever. Um, and they did a depredation tag and a friend of mine from work did it. Um, and he's the, I believe he's the head editor of guns, America. Oh, um, nice. Anyways, um, he went out and did it. And he, I think they asked or somebody, one of his friends asked like, Hey, can we do this as a thermal thing and shoot him at night? And I think fishing game was like, yeah, sure. Go for it. You know, we don't care. And so they went and did a thermal elk hunt at night.
1: Oh
0: my and, gosh!
2: Like it was crazy to watch. Like they're shooting unsuppressed rifles, unsuppressed, you know, with muzzle brakes Yeah, at 200 yards, and they're dropping elk, and they had to kill. I can't remember how many they had to the cull out of this one herd, but it, it was like probably 12 or 13, and it was like two guys, and they just got after it, and those you'd shoot, you'd shoot them, and they didn't even know what was going on. They just stand there.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, it. I mean, it's cool that the agencies will allow hunters and farmers to work together to take care of problem animals like that. Like here in Missouri, I, I don't know that we have tags where it's like, hey, you can go and hunt with this person on their farm or like they're going to call you to come shoot this. But we've got landowner tags. So if you, if right. you own land, you, I can't remember how many you get per 20 acres, but like we used to... Yeah. We used it's to rent a house. Very, very... Oh yeah, we we rented a house on two hundred and thirty acres, and uh, I put in for landowner tags, and I would get like eight deer tags a year, and I didn't have to pay for them. And then I would get additional ones for archery season. Here in Missouri, I mean, the deer are everywhere. But I right. I I feel like once they become a problem and they're eating crops or they're damaging property or they're killing livestock, in the case of the predators, like it's good that the fish and game or wildlife agencies recognize that and give us additional opportunities to take care of that.
2: Oh, no. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. We like, so in Idaho, we have our landowner tags um, and then you have the depredation hunts as well. Okay. So the landowner tags are completely separate. And you know, there's another niche thing about Idaho that probably not many people know we have landowner tags, that are we have units that are inside of Idaho that you have to have landowner permission to hunt because their ranch is so big that it encompasses an entire unit jeez so you have to get permission first prove with a letter that you have permission and then you can get that tag which is is pretty interesting
1: yeah that's wild that is definitely not an issue that we have here in missouri
2: <laughs> no no, no, and, and and I think that the reason being is because Idaho is. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, if you look at a map, I mean, Idaho is definitely not as big as some states, but it's it's pretty damn big. Yeah, I mean, I I bet you we have more square feet if you made it all flat because there's a lot of it that's steep.
1: Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm. It's always it's always intriguing to me to think about like going to a new state like that and trying to make a hunt happen. Uh, What was it like when you went from, um. From your hometown hunting blacktail deer or Roosevelt to Idaho, is it that different of topography where you're at now versus where you were then? And then, like, how how is the hunting strategy changed?
2: So hunting in Southern Oregon, um, my farthest shot, 150 yards max on anything, deer, elk, whatever. Um, and then you come to because just because everything's so thick, right? You're hunting these, like where I hunted Roosevelt elk, you're hunting them in the middle of an old growth forest. Um, and it's really trippy. And that's why I tell people you got to go do it because you'll be walking through this forest. You'll come across a tree, like a, a dug fir tree in an old growth forest that is, you know, 10 feet across the base. They're huge. Um, and it's just, it's impressive to see. Right. Yeah. Uh, and these Roosevelt elk are huge. Like, they don't, obviously they don't have the, the antlers that Rockies have, right? That's why Rockies are so popular. Um, but when I say that they're, they're the Arnold Schwarzenegger of the elk community, they are huge. They are absolutely massive animals. Um, the last Roosevelt elk that was, that, that, uh, that I killed in the state of Oregon. Um, I killed it and we killed two bulls at the same time. Trippy story two bulls fighting right and they're just sparring back and forth and they're pushing each other out back and forth behind this big pine tree me and my dad are up on top of this mountain and me and my dad are sitting down next to a log um just eating lunch literally bullshitting and i think my dad is in a red and black flannel shirt no shit and um you know, like I was shooting a, I think I was shooting a, a an Ot six, and Dad was shooting his two seventy that he hunted with for years. He still hunts with it. I built him some nice shit. He still hunts with it. Um, but anyways, these two bulls are fighting, and I, I I hear something when we were facing away from them, probably about one hundred and twenty five yards away. I'm like, Dad, do you hear that? And he's like, Yeah, what is that? And I, I'm, I'm like looking around. And I look behind me, and I'm like, Yeah, there's two bulls over there sparring behind that tree. He's like, no shit. And he turns around, he sees him. He's like, oh shit, we got to kill one of them. Um, and he's like, hey, you shoot first. If he pushes that big bull out from behind there, it was a seven by seven and a raghorn five by five, basically. So that raghorn pushes that big seven by seven out from behind that tree. I let him have it. He hits the ground like a pulled axe deer, not wiggling. That six by six runs around in front of the tree and stops. And my dad goes, well shit, if you're going to stand there, boom, shoots him. My dad shot him four times with that 270, and he put all three bullets in a group about that big right in his pump house and took him three shots to kill that, that bastard. Like he, they're extremely tough animals. Um, anyways, fast forward, we're getting these things broke down to get them off the mountain. Right. And a good friend of my dad's was the head meat cutter for a butcher shop in Klamath Falls, Oregon. And he comes up there to help us, butcher these animals out and he says that seven by seven is bigger than any beef i've ever cut in my life like massive animals um i mean their feet are their feet i can't the, the the screen doesn't do it justice they're they're huge yeah um but anyways and like my seven by seven he's he's not if you look at him you're like oh yeah he's seven by seven he's a royal you know but you compare them to a rocky you're like oh he's not that big and it's like yeah but you should have seen what he was attached to
1: yeah (laughs) they're huge um yeah i wonder is it do you think it's because of the foliage that grows i mean with how green and how thick it is or what causes them to get that big
2: i think it's because they have obviously they have as much food as they could ever want to eat all the time year round and they're just hard they're really hardy and they handle really harsh winters, I think, better than Roosevelt's do. Yeah. Um, you know, Roosevelt's deal with some pretty shitty stuff. I mean, they're all over Colorado, Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, all those all those states. And they have harsh winters. Um, but I don't think a lot of people realize how nasty the winters are in southern Idaho or in southern Oregon, I should say. Um, the snow up there is is brutal. I mean, it, it is really brutal. I would compare it to idaho or colorado or montana it's just that nasty um and i think as a whole they're just a hardier animal than than a roosevelt now i could be completely wrong i'm not a game biologist by any means um but in my experience they just handle that that shitty weather better um and they're huge they're big strong animals um i know a good friend of mine from idaho he drew a tag in oregon killed a rosie and he shot a spike and he was like "Tuck." This spike was bigger than any spike ever killed in my life it was huge It was like it was like kill I like killed a branch bull but with spikes um, they're massive animals and they're impressive I encourage anybody to try and hunt them um, because it's intense because you'll you'll be in this really thick old growth forest and I mean you don't you can't see farther than 100 yards in any direction and you'll get that sick sense of like oh man it's elky like I can smell them like they're around here. Yeah, And you'll a little bastard sneaking out behind you 50 yards away with a massive rack and this huge body. And you can't hear him move, (sighs) you know, like you can't hear him go through the trees and they're so conscious of where their horns are or their antlers, I should say, because they've got an eyeball looking back at their antlers and they're dodging branches with their antlers, just weaving their way through that old growth forest. And they're a trippy animal to hunt, man. They really are.
1: Yeah, that'd be cool. I've seen I've seen a lot of videos of uh the blacktailed deer hunting up there. And that's always intriguing to me because I've never seen any deer respond to a call the way that black tailed deer do, like does and bucks. And when they and with it, gosh, when they do that fawn distress call and all of a sudden these deer just come sprinting straight at you through the woods. Uh that's oh, something I want to experience too.
2: It, it is um, yeah, blacktail, like so, and I, I can really. Believe completely honest with you never called a blacktail in my entire life not once like that was not something you did at least where hmm. i grew up um i'm sure that there, there were people that did but we didn't everything was spot and stock find them you know and lots of walking lots of walking um and i always refer to blacktails as the crackheads of the deer world <laughs> um because christ sakes man like You think that you've got them figured out. The wind's in your favor. They turn their head around. They get a glimpse of something that remotely doesn't look right. And they're six states over before you can even blink. Um, They're extremely fast. I would almost relate hunting blacktail. I was actually talking to uh, the guys from Annihilator Broadheads. um, And they're diehard bow hunters. And they hunt southern Oregon and northern California for blacktail. Like, that's their guy's trip um and they're like hunting blacktail he's like he says it's the most general adrenaline rush you'll ever see he's like i will never go to arizona and hunt these deer ever again because i can come to oregon and hunt blacktail and it's even worse (laughs) you know they're just you know they get a whiff of something they're gone they don't wait around to look what it is they're just gone um and the crazy thing is you'll hear the first two steps and you'll never hear another step after that
1: that's so interesting it's funny because like I've hunted blacktail in Alaska and the deer there are completely opposite and I'm sure different places uh they're gonna respond differently even within Alaska but on kodiak they were the dumbest animals and it was almost like is is there a challenge to this like this is way too easy I got yeah. out of my tent in the morning and there was I bet you I had 20 to 30 blacktail within sight and within rifle range of my tent when I woke up. And oh. even after I shot one, it rolled down the mountain and all the other blacktails watched it roll down and then they went back to eating. And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, what have I got myself into?"
2: Well, you know, and um I Casey, our head photographer at work, uh he said the same thing, you know, and I'm like, "That's just baffling to me." Yeah. Um, uh, because blacktail, where I grew up, are they're not that way. You know, they get a hint of anything's out of sorts, and they're gone now, except for the rut. During the rut, they are the dumbest thing walking yeah. the face of the earth. Um, you can walk up and slap them in the ass. I've done it. It's 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 a thing. You it can be done. Um, so, and yeah, that's the other cool thing about Oregon is like yeah, we have a lot, lot of blacktail, but we have some really awesome mule deer hunting, um, and. The mule deer over there are the same way, man. They're not afraid to run away. Um, yeah. They're not going to stick around and find out. They really aren't. Um, and, the, and the mule deer in Idaho are very similar to, to Oregon in that respect.
1: Yeah. Once, once you did make that switch, once you bumped over to Idaho and started hunting there, I mean, what were the big differences that you noticed as far as how you pursued game, how you pursued deer, how you pursued elk? Um, obviously like glassing, I'm sure came into effect when you can actually see more than a hundred yards.
2: Absolutely. I, I, uh, when I first moved to Idaho, so I got out of the Marine Corps and I came, came to Idaho, didn't know anything about the rules or where to hunt or anything like that, you know? Um, and my dad hooked me up with a neighbor of his that grew up here and has probably drawn every sweet tag you can get in the state of Idaho. Um, he's killed two sheep in the state of Idaho. I don't know anybody else that's killed two. Um, but anyways, his name is Marty. Old guy. He's probably about 71, 72 when I met him. Um, and the biggest thing, like he took me hunting down the Owyhees, which is south of, uh, it's in the southern part of Idaho. It's the Awaihee Mountain Range. Um, it's real big, open, high desert country. Um, and I'm like, okay, this is, this is similar to hunting eastern Oregon. You know, big rim rocks. You're walking rim rocks looking for tines, looking for big bucks laying down. Um, and that was the biggest challenge to me it was like okay the entire state for the most part at least where i hunt is that way now yeah. if you go up to northern idaho you're going to get into thicker country where you're going to be doing less glassing and lots more walking trying to find something but at least down in and then basically the middle of the state down is glassing is king right get high and, and and glass um and i'll never forget i bought a brand new pair of loophole binoculars when i got out of the marine corps eight by 32s absolutely worthless in southern idaho because you just you need more and now i'm with 12 um and i'm gonna switch over to sig 16 by whatever they are the image stabilizing ones um just because you need that you know i never knew that a spotting scope was a thing until i moved to idaho yeah i found myself using a spotting scope every time i went out whether it was scouting whether it was hunting like i had a spotting scope with me on a tripod and then learning how to shoot part of the reason I got into PRS and, and, the national rifle league was to be comfortable shooting at longer distances. Um, because it's very likely that you're going to take a 500 plus yard shot on a deer, even if you're working hard to get close just yeah. because of how the country is, you know, um, it's big stuff. It's really big stuff. It's, it's intimidating. It really is. Um, I met a guy grew up in Idaho Um, he came to work for a company for a while and, um, diehard hunter, great elk hunter, great bow hunter. And I asked him one day, I was like, Brad, I'm like, how do you hunt this state? And he's like, "Get high in glass. He says, it's not hard. Just get high in glass. Well, it's not hard if you can get high because it's, it's, it's steeper than shit. (laughs) Um, but I really switched, I would say in the past two or three years, I really switched my hunting game and, and my hunting partner, too, um, because he hunted a lot up in northern Idaho hunting whitetail. And it's a different game up there just because it's so thick. And I told Elliot, this is probably two or three years ago. I'm like, you know what? Big binos, a tripod. I don't give a shit if I have to carry extra weight, but that's what it's going to take to find these animals. And I we were glassing animals up at probably a mile across a, two canyons, yeah. glassing animals. And then figuring out how we're going to make a a hunt to get over there, you know, and that basically meant hiking back down the way we came, getting in the truck, driving 15 miles or 20 miles to get at the base of the mountain they were on the side of, and then hunting up there and trying to find it, (laughs) you know, like that, that's, that's what it took. Yeah. Um, It's a lot of work. Um, I think that a lot of wives think that we go out in the mountains and we just, you know hunt hunt for four hours and sit around the campfire and drink and it's like i haven't gotten back to camp till 10 o'clock at night because we've been out till you know we had to drive six more hours to get close enough to go find them and then you know maybe make a shot maybe not and then we finally get back to camp at two in the morning and then all you want to do then is just die
0: yeah
1: (laughs) the level of exhaustion and sleep deprivation and just like beating the crap out of your body western hunting is no joke i mean i i I haven't even done like, well, I can't say that. As far as elk go, I haven't done the like, you know, 10, 15 miles back in there up and down mountains constantly. But even just riding on a four wheeler on two tracks and then going a couple miles in, like there is, there is nothing in the East that I've found that's even close to it. You know, I would equate, I would equate just hunting animals out West to, like dragging a deer after you've already killed it up and down the hills in Wisconsin. Like it's that level of physicality before you even get meat on your bag.
2: It, it, it really is. You know, and I, I got to hand it to the guys that can go out and train for this because they're there. I'm like, I am not by any means the best hunter in the state of Idaho. Not even close to it. I'm just an average guy that's trying to go out and, 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 and fill his freezer. Um, but I start you know i i hike year-round because that's what it takes to go into these units and and kill stuff you know like yeah. i hike here and i snowshoe you know that that photo i think i emailed to you of me i think your, your your one of your emails to me was like send me a photo that we can use on the gram yeah. and that was a picture of me snowshoeing for fun nobody should snowshoe for fun, for fun. <laughs> that, nobody should do that um I feel I like
1: snowshoeing with- is a survival tool, not a right. recreational tool.
2: Right, yeah. We're out there snowshoeing um mountains at six thousand feet elevation and three feet of snow for fun, just to stay in <laughs> shape and enough to go kill an elk the next year. Um and you know, and that's why I tell people that you know, when I have friends from back east that come out here want to hunt, I'm like, All right, go get on the stairmaster for two years and then we'll talk. <laughs> you know, because yep. a- at a thousand feet above sea level um, and you're gonna come up here we're gonna start hunting it at 5,000 feet and you're gonna die and that's yep. the truth you know um, and elevation I don't care how in shape you are if you're not used to elevation it will kill you yeah you know um, I had uh, the, my good buddy Mike I was telling I telling you before the the show started um, he's big jarhead marine. Um, rugby player the biggest thighs you've ever seen in your life that guy is a train um, he comes out here and we get up at elevation and I'm looking at mike you know 200 yards down the mountain going what's what's the problem but what 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 happened here and he's like dude I, I don't have any oxygen left like, <laughs> I know but didn't I tell you to stay on a stairmaster for two years before he came yeah. out did <laughs> um well,
1: and I found that's how- I found it kind of interesting. I I saw it on Shark Tank of all places. I don't know if it popped up on the actual show or if it was just on like Instagram or something. But now they've got like that Boost Oxygen, which is basically a water bottle with an oxygen like mask that you can bring up in the mountains with you to help fight altitude sickness or or elevation poisoning or whatever you want to call it.
2: Oh, well, just buy one of those before you go to Colorado. You should be all right, but
1: Oh man, it's dude. It's no joke. I, it took me probably nine months to get acclimated. And I was just in Fort Collins. So, I mean, we're talking around 5,000 feet, but coming from 900 feet, I went out there and I was playing basketball twice a week in the mornings. And I'd have a headache for a day and a half afterwards because of the lack of oxygen my body was getting. And it wasn't for probably nine months that I quit feeling those effects. And now that I've been out of Colorado for three years, I'm afraid what this year is going to look like going back in and trying yeah, to hike an elk yeah. out.
2: You might as well just go down to your local like army surplus store, buy a gas mask and then just run forever with it.
1: Yeah. Get used to that and then get ready to still be out of breath when you go to Colorado. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Truth. Truth. Yeah. I um, know yeah, that's the biggest difference is just wide open spaces, man. Like, um, Idaho's a big place, you know, may not look that big on a map, but like vertically speaking, it's a big place. I mean, it rivals, it rivals Colorado for sure. Oh you know? yeah. And uh, um, I'm fortunate enough that I, I get to hunt it all the time because it is gorgeous. It is, you know, I, I've been to Colorado. I spent a lot of time in Colorado and even to me, you know, maybe I'm a little biased, but uh, there's places in Idaho that, that are just as good, if not better. Um, and I think it's intimidating to a lot of hunters when they get here. I ran into guys from California that came up here on a whim and they're down by their truck, slamming water by the truckload and pull up and you check on them, you know, Hey man, how's your hunt going? And he's like, dude, I, I can't get to the top of that mountain. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Good. Good for me, but yeah. you know, I, I feel your pain, buddy. Um, and they're just not prepared for it. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that you can do for yourself as a western hunter is prepare yourself for for steep and for high elevations um mm-hmm. and that goes for anybody if you're from the east coast you need to do yourself a favor and get your ass in the gym and start putting the work um to just try and barely keep up with your guide that lives there
1: yeah yeah i was just talking to my buddy brian today uh he's kind of a flatlander midwestern guy like me but he goes out west hunting elk every year And he's like, dude, leading up to elk season, uh, I talked to the gym owner at the gym that he goes and works out at, and he's like, dude, I just asked if I could leave my pack there because I would load two or three plates up in my pack and just go incline walk or do the stair stepper. And he's like, that's just what you have to do. And I've heard plenty of other guys that are like, dude, find the steepest trail that you can go and hike close by you. Throw a ton of weight in your pack because even though like stair stepper is going to help, nothing nothing will fully get you ready for the actual hiking environment stepping on loose rocks you know some of those mountains are so steep you go up two feet you slide back one and you just do that all day long until you make it
2: oh yeah oh yeah you know and um the other thing that i think that kills guys is side hilling on soft ground like we have a lot of um in the state of idaho we have a lot of decomposing granite so it's like sand yeah um uh, you have mountains made out of this shit. Um, and you're side hilling for, for miles going around something, trying to get up to where you need to be. Um, and like I wear, uh, I think the last year I hunted in Ken and treks and it's like everything I can do to get my ankle support is as tight as I can get it. Yeah. Um, so that I my ankles in the first day of the hunt, you know, and you need those things for the next nine days or more. Um, and it's just it's not conducive to to unpreparedness i should say you know, like you've got to prepare yourself and walk on an uneven terrain like i tell guys all the time like walking up a trail ain't going to do anything for you yeah. go pick the same mountain and walk up the side of it where there is no trail yep and 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 strengthen all the stabilizer muscles in your ankles and your knees and your hips and in your back carrying all that weight like don't walk on a trail go find the the gnarliest steepest shit you can find there is no trail up and walk up that about thousand times.
1: Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's true. The, the stuff that you get over there, and that's not even getting into deadfall and stuff, but there's all kinds of stuff that you got to deal with when you hunt the West. But at the end of the day, you're going to suffer and you're going to want to go back. Like that's, I I don't know how else to describe it. Like you are going to have the most miserable and most amazing time of your life hunting the West. Um, Dude, I know we're coming up on an hour here and I want to thank you for hopping on, but we are going to do a follow-up to this because I want to dive deep into what your pack looks like. As you get close to your hunts coming up this year, we need to hop on another call and hear all about the gear that you bring out, how you get prepared for a single day hunt, a multi-day hunt, and, and inform the listeners on the equipment that they're going to need if they're going to come out and try to do that same type of hunt. No,
2: absolutely. I would be more than happy. And uh, um, I've got your cell phone number now. Yeah. So you, um, but I will definitely let you know when we start to get closer to those dates and we can put something together and, and hop back on here. And I'd like to do something like right before I leave on my elk hunt. So I'm like extremely prepared. Yeah. Um, That way we can tear apart the pack and, and we can kind of go over it and I'll get my wife's car out of the garage. so We've got some room to work in here.
1: Nice. Yeah, that sounds great, man. And hopefully, I mean, we're gonna be coming up through your neck of the woods here soon. So hopefully we can get together. And if not, we're gonna have to uh meet up down in Louisiana and get on some more hogs. Oh,
2: I'm 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 down for killing hogs. I already built a gun for it. We're ready to go.
1: Perfect. Well, dude, Tucker, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. And uh you take care. Hey, you too, buddy. Thanks again, man. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed that because it's always fun to chat with friends about hunting. I mean, even if we don't dive into super technical like tips and tricks and strategy for chasing after big game animals, sometimes just having a BS session and hearing about how other people do it, there's a lot of really good takeaways. So I hope you guys did take a lot of stuff away from that conversation. But I'm really looking forward to picking his brain and hearing Coming from a guy who works for a company that makes some of the sweetest backpacks for hunting and camping and shooting and things like that, I'm curious to hear more about how he packs his bag, the kind of stuff that he's putting in it. And with some of their systems, you've almost got two different like compartments that can both be removed or more so that you can pack in your base camp stuff and then dump that off And still have your full day pack for going out and hunting throughout the day, already set up and ready to go. And so I'm really looking forward to, as we get closer to season, sitting down and talking with Tucker again, and hopefully I can catch up with him when I'm out West and maybe do one of these podcasts in person. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Hopefully you guys are getting ready and fired up for Western seasons to begin or eastern season wherever you are i know there's hunting seasons that have already started which blows my mind but thanks for listening and until next time get out there and chase new adventure